0: And if you're with me here, you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We're going to continue our study of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in verses 28 to 34 this morning. Matthew 8, 28 reads... And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of pigs, of many pigs, was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters." The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Frivolity, fascination, and fear are the three attitudes that this world takes toward the satanic or the demonic. First, frivolity. Frivolous. It means to make light of or to make fun of. Many of you saw this on Halloween? Depictions of Satan or demons on the lawn. To spook children. Oh, it's just fun. It's all fun and games. Fascination. People are fascinated by the satanic, the demonic. A proof of this reality is that the movie The Exorcist, released in 1973, it holds the box office record for standing as the highest grossing rated R horror film of all time for the longest length of time. 44 years it had that title until 2017. People are fascinated by the satanic, the demonic. Then finally, there's the attitude of fear. People are afraid. One uh, (laughs) proof of this is that when I was six to seven years old, I was invited by a friend to a VBS of a local church in our area. It was this fundamentalist Baptist church. And the theme of the program for this VBS was spiritual warfare. And they had a guy come and dress up in a devil's suit. And this man had the audacity to tell us children, if you don't obey God, I'm going to send my servants to possess you. I was scarred for life. I was done for the rest of my childhood. I was afraid that if I didn't obey God, I was going to be demon-possessed. Children, that's not true. Um, so don't be afraid of that. I want to alleviate you of that fear. Many people fear, of course, the satanic and the demonic. The, the passage today, I hope, will uh, change your perspective about the satanic, the demonic. You need to understand that there is uh, no reason to be frivolous about it, to, to take these things lightly. We should not be frivolous, but we need to be uh, fighting in spiritual warfare, fighting against the spiritual forces of darkness, as Ephesians 6 tells us to do. and we do that by just standing firm in god 's truth, God 's word, and applying the armor of God in our day-to-day lives. There is no reason to be fascinated or to fear Satan or demons. In fact, if there's anybody to be fascinated by or to fear. It's the one who has power over Satan and demons. And he is the subject of our text this morning. Jesus Christ. We want to behold the King and His superior power over all opposing forces. So far in this chapter, let's catch up. In chapter 8, the King has shown us power power on full display. He's shown us power over sickness. He healed the leper. He healed the centurion's servant. He healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law and many other others who were brought to him sick and with disease. He showed us power over the storm. He silenced the storm with a word. The king has power over nature. And then today we're going to see the king's power over all spiritual forces, specifically the satanic. So the king's power over the satanic forces. And remember that Matthew wants us to behold him. You saw in our passage, that command is given three times. Behold, behold, behold. He wants us to watch and to wonder as Christ overcomes all opposition. So let's get into the text and let me first set the scene with verse 28. It says, "...and when he came..." To the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes. Now, just to give you context, remember he has gotten to the boat. They have uh, he has overcome the storm, silenced the storm, and they started in the northwest side of Galilee, and they're traveling somewhat southeast to this area of the Gadarenes, which is debated amongst scholars. But uh, essentially, it is agreed upon that it's this eastern area of Galilee. It's actually a Gentile prominent area. And we know that because there's a herd of pigs. Who doesn't eat pigs? Jews. And so this Gentile area, herding pigs, farming and, uh, and farming them, using them for meat and a variety of other things. And so that's the area that he's traveling to. Now, he came to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes, and two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. I mean, can you picture it? Jesus gets out of the boat, steps onto the shore, and these two maniacs, monsters, this is like a scene from Thriller, they come to approach Jesus. Mark and Luke's Gospel add some color to the event, talk about their approach and their background. Those Gospel writers tell us that These men have been mercilessly under the control of these demons for a long while. They're known as the demon-possessed men. In fact, people tried to shackle them, uh, chain them in the past, but they broke out of the chains. They were so strong, so powerful. We see that in our text. They were so fierce, no one could even pass that way. These men were naked, cutting themselves with stones, I knew the kids would like that. Driven into the desert at times. Crazy. Obviously, their minds under the control of these demons. And they had this sort of power that no man could overcome. You need to know that uh, demons are not friends of humanity, they're opposed and they will gladly use and abuse creatures in order to destroy the works of the Creator. It is not cool, or you don't get some kind of added power to be controlled by a demon. It, they seek to destroy you. This is a fierce satanic force opposed to Christ and opposed to men, and they're coming to approach Him. Now, now why... You might ask, are they coming out of the tombs to meet their greatest opponent? Why would they come face to face with Jesus? They're obviously opposed to him, opposed to his ministry, opposed to his work. Why wouldn't they stay hidden? Why wouldn't they run away? Well, Mark and Luke tell us why they come out out of the tombs to meet him. Mark 5, 6 says they ran and fell down before him. Luke says when they saw Jesus they cried out and fell down before him. Mark 3:11 says whenever unclean spirits saw him they fell down before him. These demons don't come to fight. They are summoned to bow. The monsters no man can shackle come like slaves, like dogs. To their master. The extraordinary power that no man could subdue bends underneath a superior power. Jesus is in control here from the moment he steps off the boat in this interaction with these demon possessed men. And then the men open their mouths, and what they say is staggering. A staggering confession these demons make. And so that's point number one. The stage is set, the scene is set, they're bowing before Jesus. And then they make an extraordinary confession. Point number one, the demon's confession. This is where Matthew especially wants us to look and listen. He says, This is the first behold command. You see that in 29. He says, And behold, watch this, Matthew says. Look and listen to what these Demon-possessed men say. And it says in the text, verse 29, they cried out. That word is also used of preachers who preach with passion. It's used of Jesus when He cries out and says, He who believes in Me, believes in the One who sent Me. Or of Peter, when he shouts in fear, Lord, save Me. Or of the blind men, who cry out to Jesus, they use the same word, Son of David, have mercy on us. See, this word for cried out speaks of the urgency, the volume of their voice. They're pleading, they're, they're urgent when they say these words. And look at what they say. Behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? See, the demons unintentionally preach us a sermon about Jesus. Did you catch that? Have you ever uh, blown a big a big secret in conversation? I think all of us have, have done this. You, you ask the person, hey, when's that party on Saturday? And the person for which it is a surprise is like standing right there. What party? I didn't know there was a party. And you blew it, right? The demons blow it here in a big way. Revealing to us something about their arch enemy that is actually salvific. That if these disciples or the crowd or even us listening, if we understood this about Jesus, we might be saved out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. These are two truths that are essential in being a Christian. You need to know these things about Jesus to follow Him. So what are the two points of this unorthodox sermon? Jesus is God, number one. Number two, Jesus is judge. Jesus is God and Jesus is judge. Did you catch that in what they said? Let's go back to the first question. With the first truth. They say, what have you to do with us? In other words, why are you bothering us? Why why are our paths intersecting? And there's great urgency and concern here from the demons. And then they follow it with an address. O Son of God. Now that's a title. By the way, the title that Jesus was crucified for. The Jews understood that title is making Jesus equivalent with God. That's why they picked up stones to kill Him. That's why they did kill Him, eventually. In John 10, the Jews pick up stones to kill Jesus, or as an attempt to kill Him, after He makes these claims. I and the Father are one. Verse 30. I am the Son of God. Verse 36. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Verse 38. And and the Jews literally responded, they said, we are going to kill you because you, a man, make yourself God. See, the Son of God makes Jesus equivalent with God. Makes Him of the same essence as God. And that is blasphemy unless it's true. Caiaphas, if you remember at that final trial, Caiaphas, the high priest, he says, I adjure you. To Jesus, by the living God, tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus responds and says, do you remember? It is as you have said. It's true. That is when Caiaphas tears his clothes and declares blasphemy. He deserves death. The Son of God, a controversial title for Jesus Christ at this time. Blasphemy, according to the Jews, again, unless it is true, which demons, creatures created by God, know it is true. They've seen Him. They've known of Him before the world ever knew Him. These demons knew the truth. They knew the truth that the Jews rejected The demons confess the truth that Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and other religions, Muslims, they reject this truth that Jesus is not God. But the demons knew it was true. He is. They have an accurate Christology, the doctrine of Christ. The problem is is that it's not the kind of knowledge that saves them. It's the kind of knowledge that makes them shudder. James chapter 2 says the demons believe, but they shudder. They are not saved by this truth. They're terrorized by it. Jesus is God. And by the way, again, they didn't learn this from theology books. They didn't pick up MacArthur's systematic theology and go, oh yeah, of course, Jesus is God. They know this by personal experience. They were there when He created them. When He cast them out of heaven along with Satan, when He pridefully opposed God. They were cast out by Him. And so even though this Jesus, the Christ, the Son, has taken on human flesh, they know who He is. They recognize His essence. He's the Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. Jesus is God. And that induces great fear for these demons. Jesus is God. So it's almost as if they approach They bow, they surrender by creaturely instinct. They come to pay their respects. They address Him for who He is. Jesus is God. Look at the second question with the second truth here. The second question, 829, reveals to us another truth about Jesus. They say, have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, this is a party no one wants to attend the time I'm talking about judgment day see it is written in everlasting stone god will cast the devil and his demons into the lake of fire forever that was prophesied in ezekiel that was told to us again by jesus in matthew 25 and shown in john's revelation revelation chapter 20 verse 10 It is written in everlasting stone. This will happen. This appointed time. Judgment day. In fact, their destiny is sealed by the one that they're talking to right now. And they know this. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible, in the fall of men, in Genesis chapter 3. Man eats eats the forbidden fruit, man and woman, and they are They are cursed. And in the middle of that curse, there's a great promise. A very important promise. The Proto-Evangelium. Genesis 3.15. The promise is that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Does that sound familiar? The seed of the woman, someone born of a woman, would crush the head of the serpent who, who was Satan. There's a promise there that will one day Come to fruition. And of course, the one born of the woman is Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. Here He is, the serpent crusher, right before their eyes. In fact, 1 John tells us the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why He's here. The judge is here, in their presence. And so far... Jesus is on target to accomplish that mission. He's overcome Satan's temptation in the wilderness, Matthew 4. He cast out demons with a word, Matthew 8.16. He's going to deliver a crushing blow to Satan and his servants when he dies and is resurrected to save sinners, Colossians 2.15. And then, he's going to come back For the time, that ultimate day of judgment, when he does away with Satan and his servants forever, casting them into the lake of fire, the eternal abyss. And so they're summoned with creaturely instinct to the one who created them, but they're also summoned like criminals to the trial and before their judge. They know they're guilty, they know their sentence. And they're they're a little bit nervous here that Jesus has rushed the order. That He's going to punish them and judge them prematurely. That's what they're asking here. You you come to torment us before the time. Luke's Gospel says they're very concerned that Jesus was going to throw them into the eternal abyss. They fear their judge. But alas, it's not that time yet. That time still coming, the ultimate judgment, the final judgment. So for now, in their confession and with their questions, we learn two things about Jesus, two things that are very important. Understand this, Jesus is God and Jesus is judge. So the question for you, the demons believe and shudder. What do you believe about Jesus? Do you know him as God? Do you respect and honor and revere him as judge? Are you right with God? Or will the judgment that he pronounced on judgment day be the same that the demons get? Depart from me, I never knew you. Cast it out into eternal judgment. Or will you hear from Christ? Come. Here's the kingdom that I've prepared for you beforehand. See, Jesus... Has the keys to death and Hades in his hands. He separates the sheep from the goats. He determines your eternal destiny as well as Satan and the demons. And just as these demons are called before their judge and await their eternal destination, so will you. Do you know Jesus Christ? Does he know you as a criminal forgiven? or a criminal that still stands guilty. Behold, behold, even the demons, Matthew shows us, confess that Jesus is God and that Jesus is judge. Point number two, the demon's submission. The demon's submission. Look at verse 30. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. Mark tells us there's about 2,000 pigs. It's a lot. And the demons begged him, begged him, saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. The other gospel writers tell us that the demon reveals his identity and he's called legion for there are many, at least 2,000. Legions of soldiers, that's thousands of soldiers. This is a big, big opposing force. A serious demon possession. So like I said, the demons don't want Jesus to prematurely throw them into the eternal abyss, even though He has every right to. And so they plead, they beg for maybe the next best thing, which is to, you know, here's the closest local creature outside of man, because Jesus is obviously not going to send the demon from one man into another man. He's going to cast the demons out into sub-creatures. These pigs. Why? I don't know. Scholars debate. Maybe because they were just close in proximity. Scholars say he's punishing pigs because God doesn't want the Jews to eat pigs. That's not. I don't think that's the case. I think they're just close in proximity. And they number with the same that the legion numbers. So they're like children. You know, they, they're like children coming before the parents. They know they deserve punishment. And so they're begging for a less severe punishment. Please, will you just send us in the demons? Don't cast us into the eternal abyss forever. And so though reluctant, we see they're brought into submission. Just like Satan had to go to Jesus and ask him for Permission to sift Peter like wheat. Just like Satan had to go to God in heaven and ask for permission to touch and torment Job. These demons have to ask for permission to enter pigs. The level of submission from these creatures, it just shows that we all, creatures, angels, humans, and sub, we're all in submission to God as our Creator. We all will bow the knee to Him. Satan and all satanic forces, they submit to sovereignty. And God alone has sovereign rule over all. So the devil is God's devil. The demons are God's demons. They're not autonomous forces that go and pillage and, and do whatever they want. They, they bend and they submit to God. They can't even go into swine without permission. And so we see here, and, and Matthew shows us that just like the sickness, just like the storm, satanic forces are at the mercy of God's word. He has power over it all. With just a word, he's casting out Demons. And so they are depending on His command here. What will He do? Jesus shows us in Matthew 8.32. And He said to them, Go. And so they came out. They rushed out and went into the pigs. And behold, okay, here's another thing that Matthew wants us to see. He says, watch this. Look at what the pigs do. The whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. I, it's hilarious reading the commentaries on this. Some scholars dare to say that Jesus is a poor steward of pigs. <laughs> that Jesus killed all these farmers' pigs so what are they going to do? What's going to be their source of income? That was, not, that was not kind of the Lord Jesus. Please. Jesus knows exactly what He's doing. Every work is premeditated and for His glory and our ultimate good. There's a lesson here. And I, I, I believe the lesson is this. This is a shadow of future judgment. What the pigs do is a shadow of what's going to be done to them on that final day. For now, these pigs, demon-possessed pigs, are destroyed. They drown in the Sea of Galilee. One day, mark this, written in everlasting stone, they will drown, they will be destroyed in the lake of fire. That's what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to bring all things into submission. He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, King over all. Satan and his angels have an appointed judgment day. It will come. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And by the way, that includes you. You will submit. You will surrender to Jesus as Lord. In one of two ways. Either you'll submit and surrender today. Confess that you're a sinner. That you've rejected God. That you've sinned against Him. And that there's nothing in you worthy to receive salvation. You need a Savior. And so you can cry out to Him on bended knee. God, save me. Forgive me. And you'll be granted that forgiveness and that love today. If you call out to Him in faith and believe in Jesus Christ. That's one way that you can submit to Jesus Christ. The other way is on judgment day. When you stand before the judge, having forsaken him in this life, not given another chance, you will bow before him, confess him as Lord, and then receive judgment. If you forsook him in this life, if you did not receive him when he called to you and offered you salvation, So will you surrender and bow to Him today to receive salvation? Or will you bow to Him on that final judgment day and receive judgment? Who are you serving today? Are you a servant of the prince of the power of the air? Or are you a servant of the king of kings? Behold, learn from the king's power and the demon's submission and there's one more thing that Matthew wants us to behold here in the passage. And it's point number three. The people's rejection. Look back at verse 33. What happens after the pigs rushed down and they drowned? Look at verse 33. The herdsmen fled. Going into the city, they told everything. Especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. just as a note, they're not so much concerned with what happened to the pigs. They're concerned with what happened to the demon-possessed men. That's what shocks them. That's the story here. It's not that 2,000 pigs have drowned, that these farmers lost their flock or their herd, whatever you call pigs. It's that these demon-possessed men are no longer demon-possessed. There is some kind of extraordinary power that has cast out this extraordinary power. And so they go back into the city and they're telling everything, especially what had happened to these demon-possessed men. And behold, watch this. You're not going to believe it. All the city came out to meet Jesus and when they saw Him, they thanked Him. The whole city came out to meet Jesus and when they saw Him, they bowed to Him as Lord. The king with power over the demons. Thank you for relieving us of these demon-possessed nuisances to society. Thank you for getting rid of our problem. In fact, you're showing us that you are the king. You have superior power. No, what did they do? They come to Jesus and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Wow. Such rejection. Rejection after such a staggering miracle. The proof is there. These demon-possessed men, no longer insane, but sane. Testimony right there of what had happened. And they say, get out. You're scaring us. They're afraid. Jesus rids them of their beast, but instead of worshiping him, much less thanking him, the whole town comes out with their pitchforks and they treat him like he's the beast. And they drive him out. What's wrong with these people? What's wrong with the world today? Why is it, or how is it, that Hollywood can continue to produce and publish films about demons, Satan, people who are demon-possessed, but when it comes to a film about Jesus, oh that's scandalous. Take that kind of content out of our Hollywood studios. Get your own funding. Because our studios are are too occupied working for Satan. Fascinating people are making frivolous Satan, the world of darkness and his demons. That's just one example of even us today or the world at large rejecting Christ for the satanic or for the darkness. See, ironically, these demons are gone, but the devil still has this town's heart. Instead of embracing Jesus as God, as Savior, as King, they reject Him. They want nothing to do with Him. They ask Him to leave. What a shame! What a tragedy! For these people to see the full display of His power, and they wholesale reject Him as their Messiah. And this is, by the way, just the beginning of a mass rejection of Jesus. goes back to His hometown and He's rejected there too. Not just by Gentiles, but by Jews. And then we're going to see this pattern persist throughout the Gospel. The King who came was despised and rejected by men. They did not receive him as king, but only a few. But an extraordinary thing happens, and, and Matthew's gospel doesn't show us this, because I think Matthew is setting the stage for future rejection of Jesus and his ministry and his miracles. But I, I do think it's important to see and to, to highlight. It's just a really great note of hope at the end of this story. Turn To Mark's account in Mark chapter 5. Jesus doesn't leave them without a gift. So go to Mark 5 and look at verse 17. We'll close here. So 17, here's where Matthew left off. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. But As he was getting into the boat, look at this. The man who has been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. I want to stay with you. Of course he did. He was liberated. He was freed. He was saved. I want to follow the Savior. I want to be with him. But look at what Jesus does. 19, he did not permit him You can't follow me. But he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And look at verse 20. He went away and began to proclaim, to preach in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Jesus leaves the Gentiles. A missionary with the demon, formerly demon possessed man. Isn't that cool? And the gospel goes out. The light that Isaiah 9 was talking about that went to the Gentile nations bursts forth. And this man who was formerly enslaved, trapped under the control of satanic forces has been freed, has been redeemed. And what does he want to do with that freedom? He wants to go and tell everybody else about it. And so are we, right? John Calvin writes this. I have the quote on the screen. He says, In the person of one man, Christ has exhibited to us a proof of His grace, which is extended to all mankind. Though we're not tortured by the devil, yet He holds us as His slaves till the Son of God delivers us from His tyranny. Naked, torn, and disfigured, we wander about till He restores us to soundness of mind. It remains that in magnifying His grace, we testify our gratitude. Such were some of us, right? Maybe not demon-possessed, but we were walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, formerly dead in our trespasses and sins, but God intervened and made us alive, if you're in Christ, amen? And it was by grace that God has freed you, redeemed you from the powers of darkness and into His wonderful kingdom of light. Your eyes have been opened. You know Him. You follow Him. Such grace, such mercy to intervene for you. And our response should be the same as this demon-possessed man, to go out and tell others about Him, to proclaim His mercy and grace, To our friends, to our family, to be little missionaries in our circles of influence, in our neighborhoods, so on and so forth. Christian, I want to encourage you with this message that you can be confident, you can be assured. Satan's fate is sealed, his power over your life is broken. You're no longer following the prince of the power of the air. His forces cannot separate you from the love of God. If you're in Christ, you are safe, secure, and you have everything you need to stand firm with the armor of God and oppose satanic forces or the influence of Satan through worldly means in your life. Do not fear the one that your king has crushed. But non christian those of you here today who do not have relationship with this king who do not know him not right with God you've not confessed your sins you've not received forgiveness you've not believed wholly in Jesus Christ as the only savior if that's you then you don't have this confidence today yet and if you're confident without Christ then it's a false confidence Only those who are in Christ have been freed from Satan's power. The Bible teaches us that Satan and his forces prowl the earth looking for souls to devour, to influence, for eyes to keep blind, for the minds of those walking in darkness. The gospel has been preached to you today. Turn from and out of the darkness and receive the light of Jesus Christ today. Believe in Jesus to be saved, to be freed, to have salvation. He is God, He is Savior, He is Judge, He is the King. He's shown it and proven it to us. Only by His sacrifice on the cross and his, the power in His resurrection can you be set free today. If that's you, come talk to the pastor. Come talk to me or the person who invited you about becoming a Christian, a true follower of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You receive all the glory for our service today. And there's more coming, Lord, as we remember the great sacrifice of Your Son through communion. But God, help us to seal these truths that You've taught us today, even even from the mouths of demons and in this story, this account that Jesus is God, that He is judge. God, I pray that we would worship Him and behold Him as God and judge, that we would follow Him with our whole heart and all our lives, that we would have confidence and security knowing that He has power over all opposing forces, including Satan. That one day, Satan's doom is going to be final and everlasting. And we trust and are assured in You for that. I pray for maybe an unbeliever, a non-Christian here today who has heard the gospel today and the the eyes of their mind have been opened. They see Christ for who He really is and and God, maybe you're stirring them up, uh, giving them the gift of faith to believe. I pray that they would receive Christ today, that they would hold fast to Jesus as the only Lord and Savior of their lives. And God, we ask that again, you would receive all glory and praise. For the work that you do in our hearts, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.